Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek. You're listening to Jesus in the Center, one-year Bible podcast, and I'm so glad you are. We're going to look today at Genesis chapter 20 to 22, Matthew chapter 7, Psalm 9, and Proverbs chapter 2. Today is day number 9, January 9th are these readings, and there's a lot here. We could uh, we could spend all our time, hours and hours, on any one chapter that we're going to read today, but we're going to just look briefly at some of these. You see in chapter 20 that Abraham and his wife Sarah, they move to a new land, undoubtedly. You know, they have to move around because of the need for pasture. And when they get there, Abraham tells the people, hey, this this person, Sarah, is my sister. And he, she's end up being taken by a guy named Abimelech. It says this, um, Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. I have no idea how this works. I have no idea why Abraham did not learn. He did this before when they were down in Egypt. It didn't work out very good then. And dude, it's not going to work out again. Abimelech, though, seems to have a sickness. You see that in verse 17. And he does not sleep with Sarah. Uh, and, uh, you know, why Why does this matter? Uh, other than just like, you know, seems like a uh, uh, soap opera. You know, why does it matter? Well, because... All along, we're waiting for the son who would be born, the seed of Abraham, to whom all the nations will be blessed. Remember that God said this back in Genesis 3.15, that he would send an offspring, a seed of the woman who would crush the Satan, Satan's head, the serpent's head. And we keep asking, who is this? Is it is it Abel? Is it Noah? Uh, is it Seth? You know, where where is this one who is going to be the fulfillment? And so... God had promised multiple times, uh, specifically to Abraham, that that his line would be the seed. Right? We see that in Genesis 12, 13, 15, all over the place, 17. Uh, and so we see that God making an agreement, a covenant, and then um, re-reminding, remaking it, we could say. And so, anyway, if Abimelech sleeps with, with Sarah and they have a son, well, it's not of... It's not of Abraham's line. So uh, God steps in and intervenes and corrects through Abimelech. This this king corrects and confronts the sin of Abraham to stand up and be a man. You know, it says verse 13 that they had all, all along said, you know, when we go out, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, save me. He is my brother. Ah, which technically is true. Right there. Apparently they're, they have the same father, different mothers. And so technically they're saying what's true, but it's not the truth. And Abraham is afraid. He says he's afraid. There's no fear of God in this place. Really, he's just afraid to be the man he's supposed to be, which I think is a good correction for all of us. But Abraham is a man of faith. Verse 17, he prays to God, and and Abimelech's household is healed from whatever affliction they have. You get to chapter 21. It's pretty cool. Remember that uh, both when, when Sarah and Abraham were told that they would have a child in their old age, uh, Sarah laughs, and then another chapter, uh, Abraham laughs, uh, and first Abraham, then Sarah. Um, and so God said that you're going to name this son that you're going to have, he laughs, Isaac. That's what you're going to name him. And so chapter 21, she has this son. Uh, everyone rejoices with her. Or she exclaims that everyone's going to rejoice with me. Whoever hears of this, this old lady uh, that I am, had a baby, um, God be praised. Well, uh, there's a the conflict with Hagar and, and Ishmael, we won't go into that, but uh, we do see that um, God provides for, for Hagar, that he is the God who sees, and he, remember she 
she was in this place before, um, and she called out to God, and God was the God who sees, the God who looks after me. In um, chapter 21, verse 17, it says, The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and asked the question, What is the matter, Hagar? Of course he knows. God knows our plight. He knows what is the matter, but he has us speak it to him so that we know, in some sense, we know the truth. Uh, it's revealed to us when we speak it. Well, God opened her eyes and showed her a well of water. So God is a God who provides. Um, and then, uh, so that goes on. Um, there's a treaty. We won't talk about that. Chapter 22, this this chapter is pretty amazing. Oh, right, real quick before, at the end of chapter 21, Abimelech and uh, Abraham made a treaty, you know, mostly about water rights that Abraham had dug a certain well and uh, made an oath, uh, gave seven sheep or seven ewe lambs to uh, Abimelech and uh, ratified that with the gift. And then they named it uh, the well of seven or the well of oaths. That's what Beersheba means to say. So Adam could, Abraham could prove this was the, the well that I dug. Okay. Thanks for getting through that with me. Chapter 22. Uh, at the end of the ch uh, chapter 21, Abraham had called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And that eternal God, I think that's an important thing that that's right there because the very next chapter, just a few words later, this eternal God has to step in um, as Abraham is tested. Right? It says this, chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And so here's the test. Take your son, the son of laughter, uh, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. That is a whole complete offering on a mountain I will show you. This is uh, ludicrous and absurd. The nations who were there at the time, they probably did sacrifice their children. They probably burned them uh, to a particular god named Molech and other gods uh, to appease the gods. And Abraham hears this, and so he might think, well, okay, this is what Yahweh requires. He is going to trust God. Remember, though, that that God is the eternal God, or it's translated everlasting God. It tells us later when Abraham would have this faith, Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Isaac was the promised son, but Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. And he had great faith. And so there's so many parallels here in this, this chapter with what Jesus would do. Uh, it's pretty astounding. Uh, things like the third day they're going up. Like the third day will be the day for Isaac's deliverance. And I really like how the NIV translates uh, verse 5 when uh, they get to where they're going and, and Abraham has his two servants uh, stay. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. He is stating truth. He is stating faith that God will will provide either raise Isaac from the dead or uh, provide something else in place, which is what happens. But notice also the parallels with Jesus. He is he carries on his back the the wood, right? He placed the wood on his back as he goes up this mountain. And by the way, Mount Mar Mount the mountain Mount Moriah. Scholars think that that's. That is the Mount Mount Calvary where, where Christ was sacrificed. There's just so many things that as we read only Genesis 22, it it doesn't make sense. It won't make sense really until 
until the coming of Jesus. Some of these things, the, the people of God in times past were just left in the dark, left with faith that wondered, and uh, we see it coming, uh, the meaning of it coming true in Jesus. Well, uh, in verse 7, Isaac says, Father, uh, the fire and the wood are here. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Knowing that, not knowing, but us knowing that um, if we think of Jesus, Jesus is the lamb. Or later in the chapter we see the ram. A ram is faith. He says God will provide. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And so he binds Isaac. And Isaac, he's strong enough to carry the, the wood up the mountain. He's probably... His father's over 100 years old. He probably could take his father out, right? He probably doesn't have to be bound. Maybe, we don't know. Maybe he willingly agrees with his father that God will provide or God will raise him from the dead. We don't know all the details there. Abraham, in this moment, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Ah, can't imagine what he's thinking. And the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. I know that you fear God. You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And this is astounding because this, these words, your son, your only son, uh, th these words are repeated um, by the voice of the Father who speaks when Jesus is baptized. This is my son, my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus would be that one. We'll move, keep reading. In verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Of course, no accident. God had, had provided the lamb, or the, in this case, the ram for the sacrifice God provided. And we know that that ultimate provision is not the ram. It is actually the, the one speaking to Abraham right now, the angel of the Lord. It is Jesus himself. Well, Abraham was wise and he said, he called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, when Moses writes, he says, it's said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And thanks be to God that God has provided. Look at verse, uh, what is this? 16, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you. And he goes on and he reminds him of the covenant he's made. He tested him. He tested his faith. Did he already know he had faith? Yeah. Was he already reckoned righteous? Yeah. Did he uh, stumble in faith sometimes? Yeah, but he had great faith. And so God reminds of the, the promise. If you take a, a look at this, this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 6. And it says this, For when God, Hebrews six thirteen, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And then he, and he says, um, When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we kind of come full circle back to Melchizedek, this priest of God, this priest of righteousness forever, and also how God uh, couldn't only swear, there was nothing 
higher to swear to than himself. So God swore by himself and said, um, he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this, and so on. Uh, one other thing, how do we know that this angel of the Lord is actually the Lord? Well, because it is the angel of the Lord speaking, and he says in at the end of verse 12, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So it is not just the angel speaking, the angel of the Lord, it is the Lord himself. And so keep that in mind very often that the angel of the Lord and the Lord, you know, is described interchangeably. And so we can zoom out and say that the angel of the Lord is the Lord, often shows up here, he's speaking from heaven, uh, but often is right there in the form of a man or um, or form of, a, of an angel, but it is also described as the Lord himself. So, interesting stuff. So that's that's Genesis 22, uh, the binding of Isaac. Amazing, amazing stuff. Well, uh, flipping over, Matthew chapter 7. I'll just mention one thing here. Um, Jesus starts this section in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, watch out for false prophets. And you probably knew this, but every book in the New Testament, it warns us of this very thing. Every book in the New Testament, all 27 of them give us a warning to watch out for false teachers. And how do we know? How do we know if they're true or false? Right. Well, Jesus here gives us a couple things. One is that they might seem well-dressed, right? They come in sheep's clothing. They look like the real deal. They look good. Uh, they're smooth talkers and so on. But he says, you'll know them by their fruit. And a good tree won't bear bad fruit and so on. And so, so look at look at the fruit of a teacher. I think also um, we can see this many other places, uh, especially First and Second Timothy. Paul says things like, "Guard your doctrine." Like doctrine is not a dead thing; it's it is it is just the living truth. So guard it. Make sure we have have it, and we don't stray uh, from the teachings of the Bible into you know our own opinions and myths and you know best guesses. And um, you know think about all the ways in Genesis where people try to figure it out on their themselves and not really rely on God. Uh, we could do that too with our theology. So uh, just a warning for us. Well, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus encourages us, demands of us that we build our lives on him. Right? That's what Psalm 9 also encourages. I'm just going to read Psalm 9 verses 9 to 11. It's a prayer, but it's, it's a statement too of faith. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord, enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. Right? And then in Proverbs, just something to think about. Some of the times these, you know, here there's warnings of watch out for uh, an adulterous woman and no doubt that men, you need we need to guard our hearts, right? Be like Joseph, which we'll read about in, in Genesis coming up, where he flees. He, he flees temptation. That's what we're charged to do, and we often um, need to do better. But this is written, so women, it doesn't say, here, watch out for the adulterous man. There, There's surely adulterous men out there to for women to watch out for. But remember, this is written, at least part of it, of Proverbs, is written uh, assuming who who is reading it. It is the son of a king, the prince. This is written to prepare uh, a young man to be a leader. And I think... Most of us are not going to be become kings, right? Uh, but we are to be leaders where we live, and we are to be 
uh, people who seek out wisdom. And so that's kind of just something to think about as you read this, the Proverbs. The first ch- 10 chapters of Proverbs, they sort of repeat, and it's sort of a, a long sermon about the, the joy and the importance of, of seeking wisdom because it, it will give life. And once we get into chapter 10 of Proverbs, then it, there's a lot more specific things to do. Um, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Well, there's a lot today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Rejoice in the facts, uh, the truth that God has, uh, has provided uh, on the mountain of the Lord. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.